Well, good morning and greetings in Jesus' name to all of you. It was a blessing to sit here, at least in the last portion that I got of uh, Brother John's message. And he said he had many things that he could have said. And I could wish that he would just come up here and finish that. But by the divine providence of God, in directing in a message, I am planning by the grace of God to teach on the matter of prayer. So now you may understand why I'm wishing he might just come up and continue. (laughs) But... I will try to share what God has laid on my heart. The subject is so vast, I will probably repeat some of the things he said, possibly from other passages, and there will be a lot of crossover, and that's just how it should be. Uh, In fact, in the prior days, there was things mentioned about prayer. Uh, And I'd just like to look at some, some practical things today. I remember well, 38 years ago, when I was in Bible school, I took a course on prayer, and the instructor uh, recommended a book, With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. It's considered a classic, and it is indeed very deep. I would recommend it if you can get a hold of that book. It gives you a lot of um, good practical things to meditate on and learn from. I will possibly quote a few times from it. Uh, But it was very uh, profitable for me in my life. I still remember some of the things I learned about prayer in in that study. So I trust that in this week you will have learned a few things that may go with you for life and establish your goings even in this matter of prayer. Most of what I will say this morning is things that I do not feel I have yet arrived. So I'm speaking to myself. And it's a reality, I think, that all of us face in that we can't pray too much, can we? We ever heard someone say, well, I I think I spent too much time in prayer. No, that's, that's not how life is. We rather feel our inadequacy and our lack, and we're going to look at some of those uh, realities too. Prayer. I think if God has given you a new life, you desire, in, you, in your inward man, you know that prayer is important. You would wish that it would be better. And I would just like to encourage that because there are many oppositions to prayer. In fact, I started in my outline here to list the hindrances to prayer. And then I decided that is the wrong focus and the wrong emphasis. Even though those are there, I'd like to put it in the positive and encourage you to, in spite of these hindrances, to press in. There is a, an urgency in our day to pray. And yet, we find ourselves neglecting it too much. And I'm, I'm saying that for myself. I would wish to pray more. 
Why don't I? Well, there are reasons. And we have our, our excuses and we get busy and we have things to do and, and prayer tends to be neglected. But it's very clear from the scripture that God intends for his uh, people to pray. He invites us to pray. And if there's anything else I could just impress on your minds this morning is that God delights when we pray. He invites us to pray. He wants us to come to him. It is a joy and delight when his children come and ask him for things. There's times in the scripture when it refers to a a parent and child relationship, our heavenly father. And while this is ahead for all of you, perhaps you have younger siblings that you've helped care for. But as a father, when your child gets old enough to learn some of the uh, ways of life, but not old enough yet to care for himself in some manner and just Uh, He needs a drink, so he just comes over to the sink. You're standing there, and he's thirsty, and he comes over and says, Daddy, drink. He holds up the cup. Well, that does something for a father's heart. Yes, Uh, yes, son, I will get you a drink. And he does it in total expectation of providence. He expects. It's not... uh, he doesn't expect that he'll have to beg for it or, or explain or he just comes and asks. And when we read the scripture and Jesus says, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. There should well in us a sense of that simplicity of just asking. Ask. Our Heavenly Father. The disciples of Jesus at one point came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he taught them. In what John taught this morning out of Matthew chapter 6 there, where the, uh, our Father teaches us how to pray. And the completeness of that prayer is so beautiful. So Jesus was interested in teaching his disciples how to pray. And so this morning, we want to learn how to pray. And I know this isn't new to you, but if I could just stir you up to a vibrant prayer life. Most of what gets in the way is ourselves, our lack of attention, our lack of earnestness. But let's not let that become a discouraging thing because the devil always wants to use that as a discouragement. Well, I didn't pray yesterday, so what's the use of praying today? Or those types of thinking, you know, or maybe uh, maybe God isn't pleased with something I did or said. And so instead of using that conscience to remedy what went wrong, we we just use it as an excuse to just sort of draw away from God. There's that tendency in our flesh to do that. 
But I'd like for you to just be renewed in your courage to have a vibrant prayer life. Jesus said some amazing things, some very astounding things about prayer. He said this in Matthew 21, verse 22. I'll just read it here. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Now, if I would ask you how many of you believe that, you would probably say, you'd all raise your hand. Yes, I believe that. Do you really believe it? You read this little paper here. Do you really believe it? You read this little paper here. Ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. God's economy operates on prayer. God's kingdom goes forward on prayer. God says, ask of me and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance. That's in Psalm 2. He invites us to... Pray to the Lord of harvest and, and souls come in to the kingdom or, or workers go out. It's all part of the package, but God's kingdom advances by prayer. The enemy is kept out and opposed by prayer. All prayer and supplication. And so God's program, God's kingdom, and even God's working in your life is advanced by prayer. That's how our relationship is maintained. So in our uh, verse here, Matthew 21, 22, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So I'm going to go through some points here that are important for us in maintaining a vibrant prayer life. And we're going to focus on this first one of believing. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Mark chapter 11. which is actually a parallel passage to the Matthew 21. But in Mark chapter 11, Jesus did a strange thing here, or at least it seems strange to the disciples, but in verse 12 of chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, verse 12, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Okay, and then goes on to some other things. Well, actually, uh, he then went to the temple and cleansed it and cast out those who bought and sold. And then he says in verse 17, "It is, Is it not written, My house 
shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. So it's God's heart for his house to be a house of prayer. But let's go on then to the object lesson that Jesus was using here in 20, verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, he saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto him, or unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. We're going to stop there for a moment. The parallel passage that we read in Matthew, same amazing promise. Whatsoever ye shall ask. He says, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, when I read over this passage, it always challenges me as though there's something here too deep for me to grasp. I cannot quite wrap my mind around the tremendous promise here. Is it really true? That whatsoever we ask, we would receive. Well, as I said, there are some some qualifiers, but if we would let this settle in our hearts that whatsoever we ask, God is able to answer and and give us what we ask. But we have problems. We, we have, first of all, a problem of even believing this and grasping it. And then there's always the problem of having the faith to receive. Now, Andrew Murray in his book here, he, he gives a bit of this dilemma. Under the chapter where he talks about abiding in Christ, and that is one of the qualifications given in, in uh, John chapter 15, if ye abide in me, ye shall ask whatsoever ye will, and it shall be done. So there's the qualifier of abiding. But he just touches on the dilemma. He says, when we compare this promise, and I'm quoting here, when we compare this promise with the experience of most believers, we are startled by a terrible discrepancy. Who can number up the countless prayers that rise and bring no answer? The cause must be either that we do not fulfill the condition or God does not fulfill the promise. Believers are not willing to admit either and therefore have devised a way of escape from this dilemma. They put into the promise the qualifying clause our Savior did not put there, if it be God's will, and so maintain both God's integrity and their own. You see the dilemma there? Now it is true that uh, in the epistle of John he mentions that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 
So there is that uh, qualifier. But our biggest problem is acknowledging that when there's a, a discrepancy in our, in our thinking and in, in our experience as to what prayer is and how, what it accomplishes, the problem is always with us and not with God. Let's just settle that as, as the first problem. If we have not met the condition, that's where the problem lies. It's not with God. God is able to follow on his promise. And you will note here in Jesus teaching his disciples, his first statement was, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now what is faith? Well, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, just looking at a few verses quickly there. Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen, that word is sometimes used to uh, translate it convict or conviction, the evidence, but it helps us to think of it as conviction, a conviction of things not seen. So that's what describes faith. When we have a conviction that God will do what he said. And then as you read here the accounts of the men of faith in the Old Testament who believed God in spite of not seeing it with their own eyes, they, but they said, God is able to do what he said he would do. And over and over, they proved it. They received promises, and prayer was an, was an essential part of this whole process of faith, laying hold of the promises, and so on. Now let's look at chapter 12. It tells us this, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the phrase here, this sin which doth so easily beset us. Now I have heard many times that described as, well, every one of us has some sin or other that we're have a tendency to fall into, and it's kind of my weakness, and so we, we personalize this, whatever sin it is, you fill in the blank, and, and you sort of get a, a little bit of a pass from God because uh, this is my besetting sin. I don't think that's what this verse is teaching at all. I think the sin, singular, that so easily besets us is unbelief. And we say, oh, yes, that's true. Unbelief is that sin that does so easily beset us. It beset the children of Israel. They couldn't enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And what he just told us in the prior chapter about these men of faith who laid hold of the promise, they received what God gave for them. They, they believed him. They clung to it. They had a conviction that God was going to do what he said he would do. And in that conviction, God saw that. He was pleased. He honored their faith. 
And they were able to do all kinds of things because they were able to set aside that sin that so easily besets us, that sin of unbelief that we have a tendency to stumble into. And God is asking us to lay that aside, that sin of unbelief, and look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. So back to what Jesus taught his disciples. Have faith in God. That's the first thing. Have faith in God. Okay, let's move on to the next. Point number two for a vibrant prayer life. Let's remember that perseverance is rewarded. Perseverance is necessary. God expects perseverance. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 18. And if you want to turn there, that's fine. But there, I'm not sure that we'll read all of this. But I'd like you to note that Jesus gave a parable here. He says, he spake this parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Tells us right up front why this parable was given. There is a tendency for us to faint in the matter of prayer. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming, lest, excuse me, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? The picture here is of a widow woman who has no power, really, no, no much influence of any sort. She can't really do anything that would benefit the judge. Um, and so she comes and asks and pleads for him to avenge her of her adversary. I don't know what that all meant. But if you think about a judge in a city, he has a position of power and influence And if a very wealthy man comes and asks him to avenge his adversary, he might be inclined to to take immediate action. Uh, Just because it's possible that the rich man could reciprocate by enabling him to keep his position or whatever, whatever, and favors and so on, and you know how politics go. But in this case, it's a poor woman. She's a widow woman. She doesn't have uh, influence, and she just comes and begs for this favor and the judge's like, yeah, he doesn't care. I mean, what? He's, he's indifferent to it. I mean, there's no particular compassion that he uh, feels it necessary, and he would tend to brush it off. But finally he says, 
lest by her continual coming she weary me. I'll get, I'll get tired of this. Let's, let's just take care of get this problem done with. Now, if we think that's possible, how much more is God ready to avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, cry day and night, though he bear long with them. So the principle here is God expects earnestness, he expects perseverance, and he encourages perseverance. It may be discouraging to us, but God is looking for some perseverance, and he rewards perseverance. Let's also look at chapter 11 of Luke. Verse 5 of Luke chapter 11. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So by their persistent coming and, and their urgency, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, the picture here is we have a need, and in this case it was not for myself but for someone else. I am a servant who wants to serve someone, but I don't have the resources. They've come hungry. I don't have what I need. And we go to the house of provision and we make intercession and request, friend, lend me three loaves. Now you can apply that in many things in Christian life and service, whether it be for your children, whether it be a teacher for his class or a pastor for his church or you for a friend. Whatever the case might be, you can go with confidence to God and, and with perseverance and insistence continue asking God for help. Ask him for the provision that you need. It's not something you're getting to consume upon your lust, which James warned us against, but it's something you need to help your friend. And God will answer that persevering prayer. Let's go on to the next point. Point three is that for a vibrant prayer life, we must keep our relationships clear. In Matthew 6, 12, in that prayer that John went over, where it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This matter of forgiveness is very important. As we forgive our debtors, that prayer assumes that we will have debtors. We will have people who wronged us, or there would be reason for us to need to forgive. It's assumed. That's how life is. And we are to freely forgive. 
and we will receive forgiveness in like measure. In fact, that is so important that Jesus repeats it after the prayer, and he says, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now it's interesting in that passage we read in Mark chapter 11, where I stopped reading the very next verses, Jesus repeats this same thing about forgiveness. And he had just got done telling them that whatsoever they would ask, if they believe, they'll receive it. And then he reminds them about forgiveness. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now that might include more than prayer, but it certainly includes prayer as a major part. If we come to God and want to receive some benefit from him, we need to be, have a good conscience that has exercised itself to be void of offense toward God or man. And then God will hear such a, such a prayer. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, and it's referring to their wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. God is interested in how we relate to others, and that forgiving spirit allows him to heap mercy and forgiveness upon us. The next point would be personal purity and holiness. Now that kind of flows right out of keeping relationships clear, which is part of personal holiness and and purity. But in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, it says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Personal purity and holiness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it certainly means that in the world to come we will see God. But it also means that in this life, those who have purity in heart, they are the ones who are able to see God. James chapter 5, verse 16, where it gives us the account of anointing with oil... And with um, the example of Elijah, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now as we read that, we might think to ourselves, Oh, I can never attain to being that kind of a person that is so righteous that God will just automatically hear their prayer 
No, we should not settle on that thought. We should settle rather on the thought, I will endeavor to be more righteous before God by being cleansed of all impurities, anything that's out of order in my life, so that I might pray and that I might seek God and that he might answer my prayer. So again, don't allow the devil to condemn you by feeling that, well, you're just not righteous enough. You'll never measure up. Well, let that motivate you to get things right. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Again, holy hands. Hands that are separated unto God. Hands that have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we could look at Hebrews uh, chapters 8 and 9 where it talks about entering into the holy place. Christ entered in. He invites us to come in. Those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We enter into the holy place by his blood that has cleansed us from all sin. A connection there between a cleansed heart, clean hands, purity of life, a holy life, and entering into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Get your life cleansed where there are needs in your life. Now let's talk about this kind of the end of my points here. I'd just like to speak a bit about some of the practical things and, and aspects of, of life that might be helpful for you as you think about your prayer life. I just finished talking about holiness and purity. And this next point kind of relates to that. And that is that we might think of ourselves when we, when we come to prayer, we like to cultivate a certain uh, posture or attitude or thought of, of drawing nigh to God. And that's, that's good. That's right that we have a special time and we draw nigh. But remember that God looks at more than just how we are thinking in the prayer closet and he's looking at all of our life. And what we are outside of the prayer closet is what God also sees when we're in the prayer closet. And again, let me just turn to Andrew Murray's book, and he makes some comment on this. He says, there is this second more general lesson in our daily life in the world. No, I'm sorry, let me, let me start again. I'm quoting here. There is a second more general lesson. Our daily life in the world is made the test of our intercourse with God in prayer. How often the Christian, when he comes to pray, does his utmost to cultivate certain frames of mind which he thinks will be pleasing. He does not understand or forgets that life does not consist of so many loose pieces, of which now the one and then the other can be taken up. Life is a whole, and the pious frame of of The hour of prayer is judged of by God from the ordinary frame of the daily life, of which the hour of prayer is but a small part. 
The effectual prayer of faith comes out from a life given up to the will and the love of God, not according to what I try to be when praying, but what I am when not praying is my prayer dealt with by God. Now that made an indelible impression on my mind 28 years, 38 years ago. And I marked it in my book, and I'm sharing it with you. Because I have often thought of that in my life, in my prayer life. If I act one way outside the prayer closet and then come to the prayer closet and think that I'm going to have this uh, more holy frame of mind, I'm deceiving myself. If I have said harsh words, if I have been angry and unforgiving, um, and referring back to what I quoted earlier about men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, it says, without wrath, and doubting. Wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If I've been angry with others, spoken harsh words, and then think I'm going to come into my prayer closet, we should not neglect to go to the prayer closet, but we should hasten to make the first part of our prayer, Oh Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my wrong attitude. And yes, a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. In fact, we must come with that posture. If I have done wrong, I need to be contrite. I need to be repentant. I need to be broken. God honors that kind of a heart that comes into the prayer closet. But let's just remember that we can't think that we're going to live one way out here and and it doesn't matter and then we're going to come into our prayer closet and it's all going to be pious and holy and right and and, God wants to work in our heart so that we can pray without ceasing our manner of life is of one whether we're in the closet or out of the closet Now, saying that, I'm not minimizing at all the fact that we need to draw apart. We need to, um, you know, enter into our closet and shut the door. We push out the things of the daily life, yes, and concentrate on prayer. I'm I'm not saying that's not a part of it, because it is. Jesus taught us to enter into our closet. Prayer is not something to impress others with. Yes, there is a time for a public prayer. The Bible clearly teaches that as well. But our main uh, prayer time, when we really uh, have our time with God, is in secret. And our Father, which sees in secret, will reward us openly. Don't seek for a deeper prayer life that you might impress others but rather seek for a deep prayer life that you might draw nigh to God. And God will take care of whatever that looks like and whatever your reward will be, he will see to that. But you seek to draw nigh to God. We can be just as earnest and deep and intimate with God in our prayers as we choose to be. It was mentioned earlier that we can be as holy as we want to be. The provision is there, and so it is with prayer. If you earnestly want to have a closer walk 
a more intimate time of prayer, meaningful prayer, you can be just as far along as you want to be. One thing to keep in mind in prayer is that tomorrow's prayer might be better than today's prayer and the next day's might be better yet but don't think that it will always just always be a little step more and farther than the day before it soon runs out of steam but let not that discourage you because we grow in prayer and it's much like we eat food you don't expect your food to be ever more tasty and ever larger portion day after day after day. We take a steady amount. We we it it's a a regular intake. And tomorrow's uh, meal might not be quite as tasty as today's. But we don't get discouraged from eating just because tomorrow's meal is not as tasty as today's. It's That's how life is. And we should just realize that in prayer life, same way. Don't be discouraged if you don't feel, and and, you know this whole thing of feelings comes in here, don't be discouraged if it doesn't seem like tomorrow's prayer just wasn't quite as good as today's. But press in. It will grow. And you will learn. And you will certainly grow in prayer. Just keep a steady course. What things should we pray for? John touched on a number of those. Um, I'd like to mention two. God asks us to pray for the Holy Spirit. He made that connection here in Luke chapter 11 when he was teaching his disciples to pray. I still have my Bible open there as the last reference But he says this in verse 9 of chapter 11 of Luke, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If his son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You recall on Tuesday's message I talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And Peter in his preaching he said to the people that they should repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'd just like to comment here on the gift and the admonition here that we should ask for the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a gift. It is truly a gift, but God also wants us to ask for the Holy Spirit. 
It's a matter of prayer. We should, we should seek the Holy Spirit in prayer. If we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in convincing man of sin and of righteousness and judgment, we could ask that for ourselves, that the Spirit would be given to us that we might see ourselves as God sees us. Lord, search me in the inward parts. And the Holy Spirit can help to do that. And we should pray that the Holy Spirit would be given to us. We receive a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in accordance with our desire and prayer for it. It's not, we can't just expect that that God will continue to pour out the Holy Spirit and we never need to ask for it. God wants us to seek Him, to pray for the Spirit, to ask for the Holy Spirit. And in that prayer, I think we should remember that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we are acknowledging or should be acknowledging that we're willing to do what the Spirit shows us. Back to this thing of obedience. If we don't really intend to obey, why would God show us more or give us more power or more? If we're going the wrong way and are not willing to turn and go the right way, why would God give us more? Well, He wants us to be broken, contrite in heart. And upon such, he can pour out of his spirit. The second one I would mention about things to pray for is to pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers. It is God's will for us to pray for laborers. And the interesting thing, of course, is that the more we pray and more earnestly we pray for that, the more God fits us to be that person. And to go and do that thing which is right in front of us. It may be your co-worker. It may be your sibling. It may be your neighbor. You have an opportunity to show, to speak about the marvelous things of God. You have the opportunity to exhort, to encourage. And all that work of the Holy Spirit making you one of those labors that can enter into the harvest. But beyond that, of course, is just the clear understanding that God's kingdom advances through prayer and praying for laborers to enter into the harvest. That is all I have for this message. May God really inspire you to pray, to pray more.